this morning I have the distinct honor of being able to, to close out this series on the names of God. And if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, you're at church. If not, pull out your phone and go to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going we're gonna to read this passage that we've been preaching out of uh, since the beginning of December. And then after that, we're going to talk about the name that we have today. So I'm going to start here in verse 1 of Isaiah 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's pray. Lord, over these next few moments, reveal to us how your son, Jesus Christ, is the Prince of Peace. Help us to better understand what peace is, what it means that he is our Prince of Peace, and how that matters now, not just in heaven. Lord, we love you. We give this time to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. I don't know if you noticed, but there's been more than one hiccup this morning. And uh, I've been in church long enough to know that when that happens, the pastor is supposed to say, clearly it's going to be a good service because it's under attack. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think it's because I have some really profound thing to share. Uh, but because I think that the Holy Spirit in you has something to reveal to you this morning. We talk about the Prince of Peace. I think about 2017. You guys know. If you don't, you've missed every sermon I've ever preached. <laughs> but 2017 was the hardest year of my life. And at the end of that year in December, I went uh, to a friend's church for their Christmas Eve service. I had never... Uh, been to this church before. It's a great church. And one of our friends was in the worship team, and they sang a song on the piano, just her. And it's a song I had never heard before, and probably most of you have heard it because you're better Christians than me. But it was, it was right before Christmas, and she sang, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And, and that was the first time I had heard it. What a wonderful song to listen to after the worst year of your life. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, 
goodwill to men. When we talk about the Prince of Peace, the world does not understand. Oh, man, look at that. Satan? No. <laughs> no, uh, that's Isaac Newton's fault. That's called gravity. <sighs> How many of you uh, ever read the newspaper digitally or in, like, paper? A couple, like three of you. Okay. Good. So you probably don't know what this says. I picked this up on the way to church today. It's the Wall Street Journal. And uh, if you don't know, on, on like the, the left-hand side of the the front of Wall Street Journal, they give you this amazing summary of everything you need to know about what's going on in the world. So let's read that. Let's see what it says. <clears throat> oh, wow. Okay, cool. The S&P 500 finished this year up 24%. So uh, uh, if you have a 401k, you might be happy about that. Um, Highway uh, projected that its revenue grew 9%. We're doing well so far. Okay. Uh, JD.com uh, said it won a lawsuit against Alibaba, which was fined $140 million. Goodness, what would you do with $140 million? Just kidding, don't tell me. New votes of the Fed's interest rate. This is really boring stuff, isn't it? Well, I can, I can see why old people like it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but I mean, let's, let's look at, uh, let's just look at the main story on the front here. It's... Uh, Confetti showers Times Square in a dry run for preparing for tonight. Oh, and, and right below that, Russian missile drone attack across Ukraine, Ukraine kills 30. That's not funny. A lower price proves to be costly for users of a common asthma drug. It's kind of... Uh, jarring. It's what we, uh, we refer to in psychology as cognitive dissonance. When something uh, comes at you and, and it just kind of makes you uh, blue screen. If you're familiar with computers, you might know what I mean. It just kind of causes your brain to just twitch and, and freeze. And so when we talk about the Prince of Peace and then we look at what the world is consuming, because as we this morning gather and open our Bible, a lot of people gathered this morning and opened a newspaper. The world has a question for us, and it's a valid question, and the question is, what peace? What peace? I don't see it. I see hurt, I see war. Can you believe that what's going on in Ukraine has been going on for two years now? Two years. How quickly the scroll along the bottom of the news channel changes. How quickly the stories in the newspaper change. But the reality is this world is still full of turmoil. It's still full of awfulness. And so if he is the Prince of Peace, what is he doing? That the world would ask that question. Prince of Peace. There is no peace, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And so we're going to answer this question at the end of the sermon. I hope you will all have a better understanding, not just what peace, but what is peace. What is peace? Is it just the absence of conflict? Uh, when I was in school, there were five main types of conflict in literature. You might have seen them before. Uh, there's like seven or eight now. Um, I guess we figured out how to write new stories. But uh, the five that I learned when I was in school are man versus man, 
man versus self, man versus nature, man versus society, and man versus the supernatural, or God. When I was putting this sermon together, I was trying to, to go through scripture, and I was like, all right, I want a story for each of these five types of conflict. Like, I'm gonna find um, a good story about like man versus man. Maybe I'll go to David and Goliath. Or I want a really good story about man versus uh, self. And it, maybe it's Isaiah when it's like a hot coal on his lips and he says, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Maybe in man versus society, David being run out like a madman into the desert to retreat to a cave. And as I was trying to figure out which stories I wanted for which points, God kind of got my attention and was like, hey, John, there's a story that kind of gets them all. And I was like, okay, what's that? Jonah. Jonah. One of my favorite stories in scripture. And it doesn't really end well for Jonah. It's a cliffhanger. We don't know, we don't know the end of Jonah's story. So I'm going to summarize it for you. God calls Jonah, hey, go to Nineveh, proclaim the gospel. There's people there that I want to rescue. Jonah doesn't want to do it, and so he flees, heads towards Tarshish, ends up in a boat. Uh, there's stormy seas on the seas. They toss him off the boat, and the seas abate. But then he gets eaten by a whale. And then three days later, the whale spits him out. He goes to Nineveh, preaches about the saving grace and mercy of God. And everyone in the city turns to God. Glory, hallelujah. That would have been such a great point to stop. But instead, we're treated to the next few days of Jonah's life. As he turns his anger and spite towards God, as he leaves the city and, and collapses in the desert and says, just take me now, God. If, if you want to save the Ninevites, then surely you've forgotten me. If you don't know, Nineveh and Israel hated each other. So for Jonah... He might have misunderstood God's favor for the Ninevites as God turning his back on Israel, and Jonah didn't want to see what was next. It was too hard for him to comprehend that his enemies weren't ultimately supposed to be God's enemies. And so he turns his anger towards God, and, and that is kind of where it ends. And, and God is like, what right do you have to be angry? You're angry over this plant that I brought up to give you shade, and then I struck it down? You did nothing to make the plant grow. And similarly, I've raised 120,000 people in Nineveh, and I want them to know who I am. I want them to love me, and I want them to feel my love. And Jonah says one of the most profound things in the Old Testament. Oh God, I didn't want to go to Nineveh. Because I knew you who are great and abounding in love and mercy and compassion, one who is relenting against calamity. I knew that if they turned to you, you would save them. I don't think a prophet's supposed to say that. I knew that if, you, if they turned to you, that you would save them. You see, God has always been a God of mercy. He's always been a God of compassion. He's always been a God of saving people. It's what he does. He wasn't different in the Old Testament. He didn't suddenly grow a heart like the Grinch once Jesus died on the cross. His heart was always turned towards us. 
you would also, uh, go ahead and turn to Romans 12. I'm going to grab my water, which I so forgot on the, the bench. Thank you, Pastor Scott. Romans 12. We're going to read through this. I'm going to do my best not to interrupt myself. Good luck. All right. All right, so starting in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought, but to think so as to have sound judgment. As God has allotted to each a measure of faith, for just as we have many parts in one body and all the body's parts do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually parts of one another. However, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to use them properly. If prophecy in proportion to one's faith, if service in the act of serving, the one who teaches in the act of teaching, the one who exhorts in the work of exhortation, correction, the one who gives with generosity, the one who is in leadership with diligence, the one who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Love must be free of hypocrisy, detest what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but instead associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never repay evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil Good. I want to take a moment here and make sure that everyone here understands the point of that passage is not that by being nice to someone, you get to torture them with burning coals on their head. I know some people are like, oh, I can't wait for those coals to hit. And it's like, I don't think that's the heart you're supposed to have. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that we're supposed to, you know, give him a drink, feed him, help them. Help them with compassion and mercy, right? The heart matters a lot. If, if we help with the wrong motive, yeah, good things are going to happen, but God knows. God knows, and he's going to deal with us. He's going to deal with us after. And so this is a, a perfect example of that is the story of Jonah. Jonah ultimately did what was right. He did what he was supposed to do, but he had the wrong heart, and God had to have a talk with him. And isn't that great, though, that God had a talk with him? We serve a savior and a king who wants to be in dialogue with us, relationship with us, and help us to understand his ways. You know what's not anywhere in the Bible? Because I said so. 
God is patient and kind and loving, and he, he gives us so many opportunities to understand. Uh, think about how big Scripture is. Thousands and thousands upon thousands of words all revealing to us the character and nature of God because he wants us to understand him. Just as we seek to be understood, we can only do that when we know him in whose image we are created. So there's two parts there in Romans 2 that have a lot to do with Jesus being the, uh, Romans 12, sorry, that have a lot to do with Jesus being the Prince of Peace. I want to draw your attention to them first. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. When you hear that passage, here's, here's what I hear. I hear God say, sometimes you're not going to be at peace with someone. Sometimes you're going to experience conflict. Sometimes you're going to feel like you've been betrayed. You're going to be hurt. People are going to do mean things to you. There's going to be a lot of pain in life here on earth. Jesus said that in this world, you will have trouble, right? So it's not saying there will be no conflict, but what he's saying is don't let it be because of you. Don't let it be because of you. I uh, had a really bad anger problem for a long time, for, for years, most of my childhood and my early adulthood. I've shared a little bit about that before, just really angry all the time. I could blame it on bullying and things at home, and it doesn't matter because ultimately I'm a human that God gave free will to. And anger uh, consumed me. I was in therapy, having a conversation with my therapist. We were talking about, by the way, therapy's great. Uh, we were talking about anger. We are talking about anger. And I was wrestling with this because in my mind, someone wronged me. I have a right to be angry. Righteous indignation. You know what my therapist said? Blew me away. She said, anger is not an emotion. It's a reaction. Emotions are valid. Reactions aren't. Not when they're ungodly. Not when they are contrary to scripture. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. In other words, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. The second point, and this, this point is uh, one of my favorites, never take your own revenge. Leave it to God. For a long time, I think I misunderstood what God was saying here. And, and maybe, maybe I understood it correctly, and now I'm wrong. If I am, I am sure I will get an email. And uh, even though I didn't have the opportunity to, to meet your father, Pastor Scott, I do think that his delete, delete, delete thing is a great way to live. So you can just... Uh, just send the email to John at Pinecastle UMC. I won't get it, so it'll be great. <laughs> Never take your own revenge. So I always approach this from the perspective that if I took the high road, God was going to get him. And I was like, that's easy. Okay. God can do way worse things than me if he wants to. Um, but he, he can't. He's God. But, you know, by the way, God can't do anything. He can't sin. So... Uh, there's that. There you go. Just going you know, to drop that and run away. 
So this was my interpretation of uh, leaving vengeance to God, was that if I take the high road, you know, maybe they're going to lose their job, or maybe their wife will leave them, or something. I'm just like waiting, you know, especially in the social media era, because I can just like stalk them on Facebook, and I'm waiting for them to be like, it's with a heavy heart that I have to share, and I'd be like, yes! That's not like a good thing, okay? So (laughs) I don't think that that's how we're supposed to interpret the wrath of God being like up to him and his vengeance being up to him. Here's what came to me. It was actually earlier this year uh, when I was teaching the new members class uh, back in January that this came to me for the first time. And it was so succinct and I love it. And when I read scripture, it seems to affirm it. And so it's not that I'm super smart or wise, but I believe the Holy Spirit wanted to help me. And so I wanna help you with what I heard. And that is that the reason that we leave our vengeance to God is because our vengeance in the flesh, humans, our vengeance is punitive. It is punishment. It is you did something wrong and now I'm going to hurt you so that you suffer the way I suffered. You know what God does? He suffers for us. God's vengeance isn't punitive, it's restorative. The best vengeance God can get is against Satan, not against the person that bullied me in high school. And how does he get that vengeance against Satan? By revealing himself to that bully so that he can spend eternity in glory. That's God's vengeance. His his wrath that was poured out on humanity instead went to Jesus and Jesus absorbed it, took it into himself and died. And three days later, he came back. So we died with him on the cross, but the resurrection is what tells us that we get to live again with him in glory forever. And so there's, there's uh, two parts to the Prince of Peace. The first one is kind of what we've been talking about. It's the absence of conflict. It's the, the, the presence of unity. It's just being content. Sometimes it is quiet moments in a classroom. Those are amazing as a teacher. Sometimes it's sitting on a beach watching the the waves roll in on the ocean, one of the most serene experiences I will ever have, just looking at the ocean. Love it. Love nature so much. And so, yeah, that is part of Prince of Peace. It is is a part of it. I don't think it's the, the whole part of it. And so, to me, peace isn't just the absence of conflict. But it's, it's got to be more than that, right? Because God didn't really need to, to die to stop war from happening. You know, he could have really done just about anything, I'm sure. And so if, if peace is not just the absence of conflict, what is it? And that's where I want to look at the Hebrew phrase, Prince of Peace. And it's this next slide, Shar Shalom. And Shalom is translated as peace. But how many of you know the English language is kind of terrible? (laughs) We have one word for love. Greeks had like 19, right? So they could be really specific. And so when we translate things in the New Testament, we have to use context clues to really understand what is the point they're trying to make so that we can be as accurate as possible. And so shalom means peace. Sure. means a lot more than that. One of my favorite things I ever learned about God 
is this right here about what shalom is. And I learned it from a rabbi friend of mine when I was in college. Shalom means peace, but what kind of peace? Shalom is what was in the garden before the fall. Shalom was peace between men. Shalom was peace between men and God, between men and nature. In all of creation, everything in right working order. Creation wasn't groaning, it wasn't broken, it wasn't hurting. In the moment that God created Adam and Eve and handed them the authority to steward the planet and all of its resources, there was shalom. Everything in perfect unity. And then Genesis 3. We blow it up. There has been no shalom since Genesis 3. Not even today. Because creation's still broken. Satan's still around. Bad things still happen. So when we are talking to the world and they say, what peace? Our... our, response really shouldn't be like, well, just wait, it's coming. It should be, I know, there really isn't a lot of peace right now. There will be. And so there's, there's two types of, of peace uh, that, that Jesus uh, brings to us. The first is when he came and he died and he was resurrected, he brought a form of peace to us immediately we experience today, and that is peace between us and God. He brought unity that relationship. He restored us to him. That peace was rekindled 2,000 years ago. And when he comes back, we're going to get the second piece of peace. The peace in all creation. The peace between all of us. The peace in heaven that we will get to experience either when we pass or when Jesus comes back. And so the Prince of Peace isn't just the resolution of conflict. It isn't just being okay with people that you used to not be okay with. It is those things, but it's far deeper than that. It is a peace that surpasses all understanding. And that's something that we have the opportunity to, do, opportunity to receive here. I wasn't going to talk about this, but I'm going to. Um, isn't it great when you just, I was, I've literally spent the last five minutes trying not to go here, and God will not let me avoid it, so I'm going there. There, you're just going to be obedient. Okay, um, so there is a band called Blue October. Uh, they are not a Christian band. I cannot recommend that you listen to them. Their lyrics are very harsh, uh, but there was a period in my life the majority of my life, where their lyrics really spoke to me. And the lead singer, oddly enough, is a Christian, wrote all the lyrics. Uh, but about 20 years ago, he wrote this song. It's at a time when he was extremely suicidal, when he was addicted to a lot of very hard drugs, when his girlfriend long-term had left him, he was out touring, he had all the success in the world, and he was the unhappiest he had ever been. The song is called Hate Me. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because, goodness, it's a harsh read. But he's writing it to his girlfriend that just left him, and he's having this moment where he believes that her leaving him was honestly the best thing she could have ever done, and she should hate him. 
Hate me today, hate me tomorrow. I'm gonna run away so you never have to experience the pain that I brought into your life. And so I'm gonna read you one line, part of a passage, because I was listening to this song the other day, because I was looking up this singer and I was wondering how he was doing and he's been sober for 12 years. Amen. And uh, th there's a, a stanza that meant something very different to me now that I'm not in high school anymore, I'm not in college anymore, that I've been married for almost 10 years and in that marriage experienced the deepest pits of despair I had ever experienced. And uh, <clears throat> so this is, um, this is going into the, this, the second verse here. Um, at this point, I'm sober now for three whole months. It's one accomplishment that you helped me with. The one thing that always tore us apart is the one thing I won't touch again. In a sick way, I wanna thank you for holding my head up late at night. While I was busy waging wars on myself, you were trying to stop the fight. God, ultimately, is the reason I'm here today. But a lot of that. Is the grace that he gave my wife. And that she stewarded to me so well. One of the names of God that uh, I didn't get a chance to preach on this year, one of my favorites, is Azer Konegdo. It means God, my help. And it's used over 20 times in scripture. 19 of those times is military help. 19 of those times are these moments where God helps Israel, God helps David in the cave against his enemies. It is this, this strong arm and tower. There's only one instance in scripture where Azer Konegdo is not used for God. It's used for Eve. And you will be given a helpmate. Somehow, we've distorted that to mean that we've given you a babysitter or a dishwasher or someone who can handle the chores around the house. That's not what a helpmate is. A helpmate is a warrior. A helpmate is someone who can stand up and fight alongside you. Or in my case, fight when I can't. And so... God gave Eve to Adam because he knew Adam needed her. I needed Hannah. You know, her name means grace. Her parents didn't know that. They gave her the middle name, Grace. So I joke that she's Grace Grace. You know what's really crazy? My name, John. Who knows what it is? I bet you know, Pastor Scott. What's it mean? God gives. He has given me grace more than I deserve. And it's not just his unmitigated kindness. It's not just his undeserved love and affection. It's the real tangible help through my wife and through other people that saw me through that year. I didn't have peace. And then at the end of the year, I've heard, I, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. I mean, that song's depressing already. It's really depressing when, when you're depressed. 
But that's just if you don't listen to the whole thing because the peace will come. It always does. And so when Jesus came as the Prince of Peace, we had the opportunity to, to be at peace with the Father in unity in the Trinity. And then he died, he resurrected, he went to heaven, he's coming again, and when he comes again, we'll experience the rest of peace, which is that shalom, that peace that covers everything. I'm gonna pray, and then I'm gonna invite Pastor Scott to come up. Lord, this morning, uh, we thank you that we don't rely on the Wall Street Journal for our peace. Lord, we thank you that we have your word that you have revealed to us your nature, your character, that you are a God of peace. And Lord, amidst all of the distractions this morning and everything that has happened, I pray that in some way we have all felt your peace. We have all felt your contentment. And we know that we know that we know that regardless how this year went, the sun rose. It's a good day. And Lord, we trust you. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.